Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're finishing up 7,000 Ways to Listen, and the entire remainder of the book is focused on listening from the heart. And so I want to talk for just a minute about what Mark Nepo means by that. So far this month, we've talked about listening to God, we've talked about listening to ourselves, and we've talked about listening to others. So what is this fourth thing that Mark Nepo calls listening from the heart or listening to love? And it's interesting because I think it applies to those other forms or those other avenues. What he's really saying is that if we work it right, We can listen from that place of love and compassion. Then no matter what's being directed at us, we can choose. We can literally choose to see beyond the words, to see beyond what's going on, and really listen from a place of love and compassion. That even if people are being angry with us or indifferent to us, we can, beneath that other sets of signals going on, we can treat them as another loving human being and feel compassion for them. And, uh, and it's interesting, if we're going to talk about compassion today, I, of course, managed to find a most excellent or most dreadful joke, depending on <laughs> how, you, uh, how you look at it. And so we'll start here as an example of compassion. So a wealthy man was going for his evening walk when he saw two men eating grass by the roadside. Well, he stopped. He asked them, why are you eating grass? Well, we simply don't have any money for food, one of the men explained. Oh my, says the fellow. Well, well, you can come with me to my house. We'll, we'll make sure that you're properly fed. But sir, said one man, I, I have to tell you, I'm married. Can my wife come along as well? Oh, bring her along, the wealthy man replied. The other man said, well, I have a wife and six children. Well, the man thought for a moment, but his heart opened, and he said, Okay, bring them all along. We'll be fine. There's plenty. This brings tears to the eyes of the first young man, and he says, Sir, you are so kind, so merciful. Thank you for taking us all with you. The wealthy man looks at them with great kindness and replies, I'm glad to do it. You'll love my place. The grass is almost a foot high there. (laughs) <laughs> and and believe it or not this actually works with my talk let me let me explain here i know it's not just a random rude joke it actually uh, it actually applies so so mark nepo's theory is that very often our compassion comes about not by the best measure And let me give you maybe a couple examples here. Have you ever been in a position where someone is kind of spilling their heart out to you? Maybe they're having trouble with money issues. Maybe it's a love affair that's gone wrong. And you're right in there, and and you're really, you're imagining that you're doing a good job of listening. But even before they finish with the story, you're thinking of ways that you can fix them. Right? Right? And it isn't that some of your ideas might not be good ideas. It isn't even that some of your ideas, if you were that person, uh, wouldn't work. (laughs) But we've kind of neglected the fact that we're not that other person, right? 
And so part of that kind of compassion is really self-interest. It's really showing how much better we are with our own thoughts and ideas of this situation. It's, it's compassion, but of a very specific source. Another example of this, I think, happens a lot of times with, uh, uh, with young people, especially those of us who have uh, uh, maybe children living with us or other young people living with us. And, of course, we want to uh, uh, make sure that they're well provided for. That There's our compassion, although sometimes with our own children, we're not sure if it's compassion or a life sentence. But, uh, uh, but, but nonetheless, there is that feeling, of course I want the best for my children. Of course I'm, I'm there for them. I'm going to provide the stability. And, and, and the love that they need and we have our rules and it's not that rules are a bad thing it's good of course for a family to have a, a good priority of what's in or what's out but a lot of times we really repress the individuality of the people that are also taking part in that, uh, that self-unwaking and welcoming environment. Suddenly the parents are maybe deciding what would be best for the children to study as they go off to college. You know, oh, you don't want that college. This one would be a better one for what your career is gonna be. It's like, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> whose career is it gonna be? And so I think we all have examples in our own lives where in a sense, we want them to eat our grass. That, that, right, I'm gonna do you a favor because the grass is taller here. <laughs> but is that really what would be helpful? Is that really what the other people who want compassion, who need our help, who, who are more than willing to participate with us in some better outcome in life, are we really listening to true compassion or are we trying to fix them? And Mark Nepo has, a, I think, a wonderful example. He calls them the three covenants of love. And here are three ways that we can always respond in compassion without doing that grass thing, without having it somehow be about us and what we want, even as we're being compassionate. So the first one, he says, is simple. One of the first covenant is to create conditions by, what, by which what is true and beautiful can grow and blossom. And the way he uses this with people who are in need is simply one of focus. And so a good example is, has, have anyone ever come up to you and you can tell they're right in the middle of a pity party? Does everyone know, well, first of all, does everyone know what a pity party is, right? It's when the dog's gone lame or the car won't run, and we, we wrap that into grand opera and, and, and usually also sort of spew it out at other people, right? And we're playing our violin about how awful life is, and then that reminds you of your first marriage, and, and kind of <laughs> off you go, right? And, uh, and have you been drawn into one of those before? where you become a pity party too, right? And, and I think your urge, again, is compassion. You want that other person to know you've heard them, that you understand what they're going through is terrible, right? But don't we tend to launch in, either with our own pity party or amp them up? You know, oh my God, that was terrible, that SOB you were married to, right? We're, we're right in there with them. Well, Mark Nepo says, instead of that, because does that really help? Yeah. Uh, it, we're participating, we think it's compassion, but it's really dragging everyone down. He says, 
Find something good. Change the subject. Do whatever's necessary to find something that's true and beautiful going on in that person's life and highlight that. Allow that to grow. Allow that to be the topic of conversation. And he said it even works, you know, scaled up into the, the, the tenor of the, like the, the country, right? If we want truth and beauty, we need to allow truth and beauty to grow. And so he says, you know, you know there's the place that we might want to spend some of our time or our attention or our money is on making sure that art museums get to stay open and that, that, that colleges are available for, for folks. The idea of doing whatever we can to really promote and rest in that place of truth and beauty and and encouraging people to find that goodness in their own lives. True compassion, because it's got them off of of emphasizing the negativity in their lives, well, and your life, by the way, as well, and, and we've got it onto a more positive nature where that can be cultivated and grown. So that's the first of his covenants, that idea of raising and praising truth and beauty and goodness. So, to, so through our compassion, we don't want to emphasize what's gone wrong with them. Instead, we want to emphasize and allow to flourish the things that are going well in people's lives. The second one uh, is to give to others, especially young people, a sense of safety in their world, to nurture their lives and their confidence so that they can learn about the unknown. And I want to use an example from my uh, own life here. A lot of you may not know, but for a 10-year period, I took in teenage foster kids. And over 10 years, gosh, it was, it was respite care and emergency care. So I probably had certainly over 100 young men and women stay with me during that, uh, during that 10-year period. And I had, oh gosh, everything from soup to nuts in terms of, of fun kids and, and kids that were really damaged in a lot of ways. I had a few young women that were prostitutes at the age of 15 and 16. I had young men deeply involved in gang violence, and uh, and also I had some regular kids that uh, I thought the only reason they were there that was probably that their parents were having some problems, and not so much the kids. But what I learned was my job was to provide a safe environment. Now, a lot of times I had uh, my own secondary plans, right? I mean, I would have really loved for those young women not to be going back on the street again. I would have really loved for those young men not to be involved in, uh, in gang violence anymore. And what I realized was the more that I tried to put my suggestions and my way of living on these young people, the more resistance there was. In particular, I remember one young woman that stayed for me uh, for a couple months, and typically, as Friday would come around, she would disappear, and then she would show up again on Monday morning just looking not good. And so I tried in my best way to explain that there were alternatives to what she was doing on the weekends and tried setting her up with some ideas for, for part-time jobs and other things so that, so that her time could be occupied better. And that was when she just never came back. And so what I really learned is to show compassion is to provide a safe environment. 
not to be putting my stuff on someone else. I mean, my, my hope still was that most of these young people had an idea of what a different way of life could be like. And hopefully there would have been some drawing to that or some interest to that. And I, I have some pretty good ideas that, yeah, it was actually uh, uh, instrumental in some of their lives changing. But for most of them, I had to be completely content in my compassion with providing a safe environment with good food. I had some kids that had never slept in a bed before. I had some kids whose idea of a good home-cooked meal was Papa Murphy's. Well, it's cooked at home. I had some kids that had only ever eaten their fast, fast food as the only food they ever ate in their entire life. Age 18, only eaten at like McDonald's and Burger King's and things like that. All we can do truly to the people that we love and care about is provide them with a safe and loving and supporting environment. Anything beyond that may or may not be received, right? Then we're back into the story about the tall grass again. Am I really doing what I can do for this person or am I wanting them to feed them my tall grass? The third thing that Mark Depot does, the third covenant we can make by listening to love, um, well, let me tell you the story first, because it's a good story. It's out of Mark Depot's book, and I, uh, I actually had to look it up. It seemed like one of those too-good-to-be-true stories, and even though it's in a book, I'm thinking, well, maybe Mark kind of embellished on this a little bit. But no, not only did it really happen, there's even a YouTube video part of, uh, on part of it uh, on YouTube. And so, uh, so uh, two hunters were out um, one uh, cold winter afternoon, and they ran across a moose frozen in a pond. So water about this high, so on a moose, that would be, well, I guess about, moose are about as tall as we are, so, so water up to here, frozen in the lake. Obviously, the moose had, you know, broken through the ice because of, uh, of its weight and was basically trapped. Now, you might think, well, hunters, you know, here's an easy way of getting a trophy, but seeing the moose there in that plight unable to really get any kind of traction or break through more ice to get out, their hearts opened in compassion and they immediately began to see, well, what can be done here? What, what can I do? And they tried, but you know, the ice was like this thick and, and just with their hands and the, the tools that they had with them, I mean, they didn't have any particular tools for that kind of thing. So here they are out, night begins to fall and they have to make a decision. Do they leave the moose? Or do they stay with the moose? So these two, um, these two hunters decide that they will spend the night with the moose. There's someone supposed to be picking them up nearby there at morning. And so they got all out of their camping gear and they literally built their tent over the moose to shield it from, uh, from any snow and ice that would fall. And they stayed up all night trying to keep the water free of more ice so that it wouldn't literally be locked into it. Um, but did they have much of a plan more than that? No. 
So that morning, luckily, and this is the part that's on the YouTube video, if you look it up, it's in Spokane, Washington. And uh, the next morning, uh, um, their friends came and then their friends went and got other friends and they were actually able with a chainsaw and a variety of other crazy implements to saw through enough of the ice that the moose could finally raise up and get halfway out of the water and then finally get up on the ice shelf and walk on. Sometimes we're called just to be with someone. Even if we don't know how we can help, even if it's unclear that the outcome will be a good one, sometimes we just need to be there. Whether it's pitching a a tent overnight on a moose that may or may not live through the circumstances, whether it's a, a good friend that's gotten into terrible situations, more than anything you can do is the knowledge that you are there for them. And so the third of the three covenants of Mark Nepos is simply to keep each other company even when we're drowning. Now, if you think about this a little bit, isn't this the nature of what best friends are like? Have you had someone in your own life that has maybe been with you through that proverbial thick and thin, someone who's been a friend for maybe 20, 30, 40 years, someone who's been there your whole life, and if you think back on it, is there, was it their ability to fix you that kept you strong? Was it their ability to provide you with money or things like that? I don't think so. I know my best friends They're best friends simply because they've been there. They were that person I could call in the middle of the night. They were that person that when I was going through trouble would just come over and maybe make tea. I mean, sometimes they would lend an actual helping hand in some way, but more often than not, they were simply there. This is perhaps the greatest act of compassion at all to step aside of our own ideas of how someone's life has gone wrong and our own ideas of fixing it and simply being a loving witness, simply understanding that what is needed here is the open heart, the listening with love, the compassion of simply allowing someone to voice their concerns and allow them to know they've been truly heard. I ran across a troublesome aspect of Mark Nepo's book, and I want to share that with with you before we close our our talk. Um, In one place, he makes it clear that there is a, a side effect, if you will, about showing compassion. And as I was reading it, he presented it in a very kind of a lighthearted, you know, actually beautiful way. And in fact, I'm going to I'm going to read it uh, as closing today. Uh, He basically says that compassion provides intimacy. And he said it in a very sweet way, and I, and I like totally get where he's coming from, and I had this kind of aha in my brain. Could that be why some of us back away from compassion? Could it be that these very simple things that I have described that we might extend to anyone, not just a best friend, but also a stranger, also the, the person with the veterans, any money will help sign at the edge of the freeway entrance. I mean, we could do all of the things I've been describing, not only with our best friends and our family, but with complete strangers. And oh my gosh, if we did that, how the world would be different. 
And it occurred to me, sometimes the opportunities for compassion are right there. And instead of moving forward, we actually back up. And I think it is because that it does bring intimacy. How would it be if I got close to the person that panhandles in the park? How would it be if the, the person that wrote graffiti all over our back door that we, had to, that we had to repaint on cleanup day, how would it be if I actually got to know that young person and, and showed my compassion with my familiarity and knowledge? You see, I think this is a two-edged sword, this idea of compassion bringing intimacy. I think that might be the very fact that some people shy away from it. And so I want to talk about that boldly as we finish up today. I think that intimacy can always be good. Now, you may disagree with me, but give me just a chance here. We're all adults. We all have our boundaries, our ways of living. We all have the ability to know what's right for us and not right for us. And so my thesis, and I hope you'll agree with me, is that we can always allow our hearts to open. We can always have greater intimacy, even with strangers, because we have the intelligence to say, that's enough. We have the intelligence that if, if me being compassionate then leads to someone asking for $1,000, that I can say no. I'm not choosing to give you $1,000. We, we know that simply because I open my heart and give a, a stranger a meal, it doesn't mean that they have to move in with me, right? I have my boundaries. I have my own life. And so I would like to propose an idea, because I think all of us know how to be compassionate. It was nice for Mark Nepo to lay out three of the uh, sort of, sort of uh, uh, physical ways that we can help other people. I don't necessarily think that that was new, uh, new information to us. What might be new is what we're going to do with it. Are we willing to give that level of compassion, not just to our friends and families? Of course, that's where we should start. But are we willing to do it for strangers? Are we willing to do it for people in need in our community? I think we can. I think we can give. Now, now keep in mind, Mark Nepo is saying we give according to those three covenants. There's no mention of money in there. There's not even a mention of food instead of grass, right? What he's specifically saying is we can create conditions by, what, by which what is true and beautiful can be grown and expanded. We can do that with strangers. He's simply saying to give others, especially young people, a sense of safety in the world, nurturing their confidence to lean into life. This does not have to be our own children. This can be other people we're talking about here. And finally, to keep each other company even when we're drowning. So many people in this world right now are literally drowning through poverty, through misunderstandings, through uh, legal system loopholes, through all kinds of crazy things. We can be with them. We can know the truth. We can stand as a witness to what they're going through in love. Now you can imagine what my homework might be for this week. And uh, so no apologies there. My homework is the next time someone presents you with an unfavorable condition, follow the three covenants. 
Can you provide them with uh, some safety and security in the moment? Can you be a loving witness to them? Can you kind of change the subject and begin highlighting what's true and beautiful in their lives instead? What can you do? What is your commitment to doing for someone in need? It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be a handout. Most people just want to know that they've been heard. Most people just want to know that there's a friendly face that would be on their side, even in that moment. So that's your homework for this uh, week. I'm going to read you a short final quote from this book, and uh, we'll have a, a closing prayer. The reward for love is closeness. It's a treasure that can't be bought or stolen or achieved. It is a law of the living. Care leads to intimacy. Often we discover our dearest friends when stopping to help another or when someone is kind enough to carry us when we have fallen. There is no substitute for going through things with people. There is no way to language what binds two friends who climb through a forest of years together. Kindness itself can become a way of life. When you lend a hand, you open a way for your heart to touch the heart that isn't everything. This is a wealth that can only grow. While those we help, they may leave, they may die, they may simply grow into their own beauty and be loved by others, Nonetheless, the closeness uncovered by our kindness turns light to our own body until the closeness generated by kindness makes a lamp of our hearts. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one life, one goodness, one, one sense of intimacy and closeness because there is only one thing, only that thing that I choose to call God. And I know that means me. If, if everyone and everything is part of the infinite, then that means me. And so on this day, I open my heart. I open it to all. I open it to the friends and family that are close to me. And I use Mark Nepo's ideas of, uh, of covenants of love. But, but beyond that, I also open it up to the world in general, knowing that there is compassion to be had for all knowing that as I allow my own self to, uh, to, to really support others in that sense of, uh, of listening, of being present, of, uh, of amplifying and increasing the ideas of good and truth and beauty in their lives, that, that idea of providing a safe environment, as I do all of these things, it is done as one part of God to another. It is done from that sense of true compassion. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has that capability of opening to listen through the heart, of being present in compassion. And I'm just so grateful for this, grateful in recognizing the love and the light in all. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself, that law that says yes, that law that provides comfort, that law that allows our best intentions to be brought forth in this world. And so I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. 
The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.